Metaverse is interesting because it's a term coming from sci-fi that's been used for a very long time now and that's been rediscovered. But all those terms are really all around in kind of like exploring that idea that reality is not unidimensional anymore. We are moving to multidimensional reality because of technology with different layers, some being the real world, some being those digital layers on top of it. So we hope you enjoy listening to this podcast half as much as we enjoy making it for you. Because we had a ball. Only real content is going to last. All that other nonsense is here today and gone tomorrow. Welcome, Matt Lorraine, to the different podcasts. It's good to have you, Matt. Um, hey. Well, I'll let you intro yourself. Matt has uh, done a lot of work in AI, in brand, in AR, VR, and just post-reality experiences. He's a very creative person, and um, we would just like to uh, let him take it away. Let him tell you his story. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, my name is Matt Lorraine. Uh, uh, actually, if you're French, you say Matt Lorrain, uh, but people call me Matt Lorraine in the U.S. I'm uh, based in New York City. I've been in the U.S. for 10 years, initially coming from the French Alps, and uh, I'm a creative director specialized in virtual storytelling and emerging technologies. And so uh, for the last almost 15 years now, I did a lot of work around interactive video, uh, all kind of like new ways of telling stories with AI, with 3D, with augmented reality. And uh, those days I'm uh, the head of creative at Google uh, for immersive partnerships. I did a lot of projects with you know, different brands like Louis Vuitton or uh, Star Wars, for example. And I'm also the co-founder of a creative collective called Fake Artists. Uh, that is a group of people uh, across North America and Europe uh, who's really coming together to explore what is sports reality and just have a lot of fun pushing the boundaries of uh, creative tech. So yeah, very excited to, uh, to be here today. Awesome. That's kind of the first thing uh, I want to get into is fake artists and kind of your definition of post-reality. Um, I'm kind of, I've seen the work and kind of projects that you've done with Google, but I want to learn more about like why you wanted to go co-found your own thing and what you have going on with fake artists and that definition for post-reality. Absolutely. Yeah, well... I've been very fortunate in, uh, in my career, so uh, to do interesting work with brands and corporations, you know, with resources at Google, and I, I love it. Obviously, though, this is work that is always, you know, created with a, a business goal, a marketing goal, uh, you know, promotional goal. And uh, as many creators, I wanted to also have a space that would have probably a little bit more uh, freedom to do more like experimental and artistic uh, explorations. And so uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I joined forces with uh, a really cool Canadian creator uh, called Clay Weishar. He's based in LA. Clay is one of the biggest uh, AR creator on Snapchat uh, and on IG. And so together we decided to start doing work uh, that would be more yeah, artistic and creative. And that's what led to fake artists so Fake Artist is a group uh, we have, it's, it's kind of a collective slash network. We have like 10 full-time, uh, if I may say, uh, members right now who are spread across North America and Europe. It's kind of cool. We almost have one person in each city. We have someone in Stockholm, in London, in Paris, in LA, in Toronto, so it's a bit everywhere. And uh, we, we do that to have fun. We do that to do projects we could never do otherwise, you know, with a, a regular company, a nine-to-five job. Uh, and the theme of the work we do is indeed what I call post-reality. And so post-reality is a term I've been using a lot to describe really uh, uh, how we are entering a, a time where our relationship to reality is being completely challenged and transformed. It's already happening, right? You see it in the news, you see it in the media, people don't even agree on what is reality sometimes. But I think it's only the beginning and we, with technologies such as AI, AR, you know, video, I feel like the manipulation of reality 
the way we perceive it is going to be increasingly uh, disrupted and challenged. And I really think it's going to be the biggest, uh, probably one of the biggest cultural facts of our life. We, you know, that what is reality, what is commonly accepted as reality is going to be completely changed in the next few decades. And I think it's, it's happening and it's interesting and sometimes it can be an opportunity, sometimes it can be a huge challenge and I'm trained with a collective to really understand what it means and play around that idea and sometimes play with it as an opportunity, sometimes play with it as, uh, as a challenge and ask questions and try to kind of like raise awareness of what it could mean and what it could lead to. Because like any other thing happening to society, I think arts can play a role to kind of like help us take a step back have a little bit of distance at it and understand what's going on and maybe hopefully have a different perspective or a smarter perspective around it. For sure. I think, um, and one that's super intriguing, by the way, that we're even talking about this, but uh, I think it would be really valuable for the listener just because this is such a kind of newer topic and there's so many um, terms being thrown out there, AI, AR, VR, but even in my like short research of this topic or even on your website, which I'll plug for people, uh, mattlorraine.com, uh, matthewlorraine.com. But um, there's a term XR that I hadn't like really heard in mainstream. Yeah. And I like kind of, I think it would be good for us to kind of, one, if you could define that, but also if you mm. could even just maybe point out a couple of things or maybe even just like a broad misconception that you see that a lot of people have about the work that you do and like where you're trying to go with it. I think that would be uh, really helpful. No, absolutely. Well, like uh, very often in technology, there, there are a lot of labels, a lot of words, a lot of buzzwords being thrown at people. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one I think most people heard about is, you know, VR, virtual reality. Right has been used uh, in virtual realities when you put a headset on your head and you get to be immersed into a 360 degree virtual environments. Uh, then people of course talked about augmented reality, which is in that case, a uh, situation where you actually uh, are able to overlay information on top of the world around you, whether it's for your phone or your camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point people then started to aggregate those things together and so, some people use the term MR, mixed reality, which is kind of the same that they are. Some people use the term XR, cross reality. And the idea of XR was to say that, well, VR, where you're surrounded by information, AR, when you're overlay, overlaying information on top of the world around you, this is all a spectrum, you know, of like how you manipulate reality around you. More recently, I'm sure a lot of people heard about that term, the metaverse. Uh, it's been it's like the latest kind of like buzzwords for the last few weeks. Uh, and uh, the metaverse is really this idea that uh, there is a virtual place, you know, which could be, uh, some people see it as a digital twin of reality, or it could be a digital twin of reality plus additional virtual places where we all gonna have a chance to, uh, to evolve in the future. Uh, metaverse is interesting because it's a term coming from sci-fi that's been used for a very long time now and that's been rediscovered. But all those terms are really all around in kind of like exploring that idea that reality is not unidimensional anymore. We are moving to multidimensional reality because of technology with different layers, some being the real world, some being those digital layers on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's informative. That's informative right, to kind of clear up like those definitions and even the buzzwords because mm-hmm. it's like a very new, um, just a very new topic in general. I feel like people are just starting to get really intrigued. Like, yeah, I showed mm-hmm. my dad your Twitter the other day, and he was just like, "Wow!" Like, just looking through, yeah. and he doesn't like scroll through Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's I just did like, that yesterday. I was on your Twitter feed yesterday, like, whoa. Just even like seeing that uh, community of people who are pushing those boundaries and posting about it and just how I hadn't really like seen a lot of it yet. But yeah, like just how far we even are now. 
already. And it's it's an exciting time. Uh, there's a lot going on, and uh, and and this idea of post reality goes even beyond XR, AR, VR because there are, you know, we talk about AI and artificial right. intelligence, and so like re, re, those days, you can use AI models to create fake videos. You know, people maybe heard about deep fake. Yeah. So you can you can take a, a celebrity and you can then just like make them talk, you know, uh, and animate their face, or you can uh, generate art from scratch and just kind of write a sentence and an algorithm would generate the painting. So it's 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 really happening in different places, you know. Even the world of uh, crypto and NFTs, in many ways, you know, I think it's this idea that you cannot just own a piece of art, a physical piece of art. You can also now own a piece of digital art. I think all of that is kind of part of that same wave of content, you know, that is emerging now and that is very exciting. You know, uh, people saw maybe uh, Travis Scott had that amazing show on Fortnite. Uh, Ariana Grande also, you know, on Roblox. There are concerts everywhere. There's a lot of things happening in that space. Uh, I think all linked here. That's why it's exciting. It's super. There's really something going on right now. Yeah. There really is. So I want to talk more about uh, like how you think art intertwines so closely with this whole post-reality experience. Like, how do you feel like culture and technology intertwine with this, like right now and moving forward? Well, I, I think culture culture is a is a big word, and uh, I, I I would say that uh, I. I try to um, to do work that is accessible to as many people as possible. And on one side, I'm very inspired by art and art history, but also like very niche kind of technology arts that happened those days. It was all great inspiration. On the other side, when it comes to the work I do, my, my hope at least is to, uh, to have a little bit more of a mainstream entertainment impact. Uh, you know, I, I always mention MTV, and music videos is like for me like an amazing example of creativity shaping culture so uh with post reality which is a, a theme we're exploring you know we're, we're hoping to use different techniques you know video websites expand you know interactive experiences to engage with people like the way almost like a music video would meaning something very fun snackable kind of piece of entertainment and I think even if it's a piece of entertainment, even if the format can be in a way a little bit mainstream, it's most like pop art, the message itself can be sophisticated and can be uh, can feel very new. And so uh, when it comes to to the message uh, of what we're doing with fake artists, I would say it's it's mostly a satirical message uh, around really uh, helping people realize how technology, how the tech culture, how networks, how all those different platforms, how all the behaviors associated to it are really our culture. Technology is our culture those days, right? Culture is made on TikTok. Culture is made on e-commerce shops, you know, and that's, that is what is modern culture, you know? And so I, in a way, kind of questioning the platform, questioning technology, questioning interfaces, for me is a way to also have a reflection on culture and help people not just take things at face value, but sometimes understand a bit what's, what's at stake or what it means or you know what are the kind of the, the mental models behind it. Uh, yeah. I guess the next place I wanna go into is with the technology, right? Because I don't know how involved you are in like writing the code, like the algorithms and like all of that, but I'm very curious on like how these type of things just get to be made, basically. Um, so kind of like what role do you play like in creating these types of things? Like are the teams involved? Like even with fake artists, like how do you guys communicate and collaborate? Like what's kind of just the process like of, of making these things? Yeah, well, the, there are different ways thing can be, things can be organized. Uh, there are a lot of artists who are really doing everything by themselves. They code, they design, you know, they, you know, a lot of great creative technologists. 
in my case, uh, I, I did some projects where I do everything myself. So I would design it and sometimes I would kind of develop the technology. Uh, I am not a pure coder. I did uh, build a few apps or a few prototype coding myself with game engines. Uh, I also sometimes use different tools, you know, to create machine learning arts. Uh, but most of the projects, usually we work as a team. And so there are usually different roles. It's a little bit the same that in digital production. So you'll have uh, usually a creative director, one or a few. You'll have a designer or several designers. Uh, you have developers who are really responsible for them, the coding. Uh, and then you have usually a producer who is kind of coordinating the group. So the, the creative director usually is, his goal is to really understand the high level story, the high level concept and how you can achieve a goal with a concept. They're kind of like, it's a little bit like a movie director. You have a vision and then you're kind of working with people to kind of bring the vision to life. The designers obviously will be responsible for really what it, what it looks like, you know, the, the interface, how you can interact with it, what is the flow of the experience, uh, the art direction, the aesthetic of it. And the developer is really indeed the person coding, uh, you know, the interface or coding the, the 3D experience. If it's a 3D experience, usually we also have 3D artists who would create uh, 3D assets. So I hope that answers your question, but uh, some people do everything themselves. In my case, most of the project I worked on, we are like, if it's fake artists, we're between three and 10 people. If it's something I do with brands or at Google, we are between 10 and sometimes 50 people. Uh, it takes a village, you know, it's a, it's a production. And so uh, there's really a, a division of labor and with like different roles and you have coordinating those people, making them work together is part of the magic. You know, it's kind of uh, uh, beautiful mechanics when it's well organized. Yeah. Like two kind of questions off of that. One, I'm curious about kind of what languages, what coding languages are involved in creating like AR, VR? And also, uh, can you kind of talk more about teams and just the importance of that in collaboration with people, even to pull off these great technological feats? So when it comes to building AR VR experiences, most of them are built using game engines. Uh, the two most famous one are Unity and Unreal. Uh, and so game engines are really software that allows you to kind of build a scene, build all the interaction. Some of it is really almost like Photoshop. It's like a visual interface and some of it requires coding. Uh, and so uh, if you want to code for the game engine Unity, it's a language called C Sharp. And if you want to code for the uh, Unreal game engine, it's a language called C plus. Uh, but then there are other things you can use. Uh, you can also use actually uh, web languages, web technology to create uh, AR experiences. And in that case, it's going to be uh, mostly JavaScript. And there's a bunch of libraries uh, to create 3D content. The, the most famous one is called 3GS. Uh, so it's, it's really a patchwork of different technologies you can use uh, on a case per case. Uh, regarding Teams, uh, and your question on teams, well, in my case, I think that I see my role in many aspects as like a, a team leader, right? I, I, if I want my project to come to life, uh, it's not just me by myself coming with an idea. It's really about how do you convince people around you to work with you? Uh, how do you communicate the vision? How do you organize, you know, different work streams for people to collaborate together? How to really gonna bring all those pieces together. So I almost feel like that's my main job those days is really to come up with a vision and then assemble a group and start to kind of help guide that group and, and, you know, and give them the space to express themselves and to be creative, but also make sure that they stick to a vision and they, they kind of keep the big goal in mind. It's something I enjoy a lot, actually. Uh, I think that's one of the best part of creativity is when, not when you work alone, but when you work with other people and, uh, because they give you a lot of feedback and they helps you have different perspectives and that makes ultimately the, the work much better. Yeah. And with those teams, like you said, you've worked with small teams, large teams. Um, 
some of the more commercial partnerships, like those bigger teams coordinating those projects, like what is the behind the scenes kind of of that like just and even from your perspective, like I feel like some people have a little bit of trepidation when they're like, oh, I have to talk to this big company for the first time or like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Or they'll have a certain corporate culture, those types mm -hmm. of things. Um, yeah, like what, what has it been like for you working mm -hmm. on these larger commercial projects? I mean, I would say uh, whether it's a huge commercial project or small projects, uh, you still have people behind who have passion for what they do. Hopefully, uh, at least in creative, you find a lot of people really passionate, and I and I, and I think that's a common thread. Uh, and I really try to keep that in mind and understand what drives people. Now, I would say when you work with like large projects with a lot of different partners, it there's always a little bit of like a, a, an early phase where you get to know each other. You know, you kind of like start to see if you're in a safe space, if you know people can really you know work well together. And uh, I, I try to be quite natural and transparent with people. And I, I, what I notice all the time is that being trying to be very transparent, communicate a lot, and really identify the, the common goals, you know, the things that kind of like bring us together is very important. Uh, because yeah, you need those common goals. You know, if, you, if that happens all the time, I get to work with people I've never met before. And suddenly I spent 10 hours a week with them uh, of, the, of a video conference. And so, you know, of course you want to build relationships with them, like the human relationships that, that make the work much easier. So I would say never underestimate the, the value of relationships they can build with people. Even if it's a very corporate, very official environment, you'll still at the end of the day, spend time with people who are doing that in many aspects because they have passion for creativity. And I think really kind of touching on that space and on that vibe is important. I actually want to, I want to interject here for a sec, because I usually, I feel like I, I usually talk more in these interviews, but I'm really just sitting here thinking about, man, we're really sitting here talking about like new realities and like, it's just like super crazy to think about. Like I think about like, man, like what would have, what would anybody from history like Terrence McKenna think about this conversation that we're even having yeah, right, right now. <laughs> like, like, what are we, like, it's anyways, I don't want to get too philosophical, um, but I can't, like, it just, the question just begs in my mind. And this is really the reason why we started this podcast was to bring on people like yourself who have super interesting perspectives just based on what they're able to do or what they do in life. But the question that begs in my mind that I just want to ask you is why do you think humans are pursuing this mult or just we're at the stage in humanity where we're exploring other dimensions, other realities. We're not accepting, uh, like you said at the beginning, a one dimensional reality. Why do you think that is? It's a really good question. Why are we doing all that? Why are we looking for right. those new realities? It's Actually, it's why is always the best question to ask a creative. And somehow I, 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 I don't know if I've been or, or often asked that question at, at the philosophical level. So a very good question. I, I, I think there's like the very don't you have uh, answer, which is for the last, I think, especially with the pandemic, uh, we've seen an acceleration in people trying to explore those realities as an escape, you know, there's a reason why in the last 12 months, we've seen so many virtual shows on Fortnite, on Roblox, you know, people also, uh, you know, spending so much time for now many years on online games that it's a way to escape. It's a way to be someone else. It's a way to decide who you are, you know, uh, decide where you want to be uh, outside of any kind of physical constraint and decide who you want to be. Uh, and kind of almost like shape who you want to be with much more freedom. So there's an idea of freedom, I feel, uh, which explain whether it's true freedom or not. It's another question, but I think people very often are looking for it. Now what's interesting is 
if you look at humanity, we always been, you know, we're like by definition, like super curious animals, which, you know, it's mm. one of the things that distinguish ourselves. And we spent centuries exploring everything, right? The world was like a, for a long time, uh, an unknown space where you had things to explore, new continents, new countries or jungles, mm. uh, you know, the, the poles or deep under sea. And I, I wonder sometime if those new realities, those spaces that don't really exist yet, but by building those spaces, are we almost like explorator in a way, you know, or are we kind mm. of driven by the same kind of impulse that drove mm. uh, explorators? It's like a new land. It's a new space to be, to be explored, to be uh, pioneered, you know? So it's, it's probably uh, to answer your question, a bit of both, like that quest for freedom and that super fundamental curiosity for the unknown and what's what's on the other side. I think those are probably some of the drivers. I actually I I agree, agree with your with especially that last point. Um, and it, I feel like that kind of ties into my idea of it as far as like because I often or even Jay and I often kind of uh, compare the reality of America right now to kind of like Roman times uh, and kind of almost like the fall of Roman times as in we are in a place of a lot of leisure and AI and robotics are kind of taking over the jobs of those just like go nine to five mindless jobs. So now we're given so much time and especially like with COVID it's like now where do I explore? What do I do with my time? And I also agree on that like exploratory level and think it's super interesting. I wanted to just throw this out there that like the same, I'm seeing a kind of a, in the growth of AI and these technologies and the same um, kind of resurgence of research around like psychedelics. And that is kind of like what you talked about kind of at the end of like people are starting to explore the mind and like explore other realities that they found are you can imagine new realities and live within them and like that's like a whole new thing and i think those like coincide those i mean psychedelics and a whole lot of other things <laughs> that's why it's such an interesting time but i just thought it was interesting and wanted to like just throw that out there just how i see I mean, those kind of emerging simultaneously all all those examples you mentioned i think they have that thing in common there's like a quest for yeah for exploration a quest for something different a quest for new lands whether it's in your mind whether it's in the digital space whether it's uh, you know even the space race you know uh the space right. race is not just driven by economical factors it's also there's a dream of that other dimension you know outside of the planet so uh it's uh this, you know i'm always fascinated by the how all the things we're doing are at the end of the day always coming back to those very fundamental human traits that didn't really mm -hmm. change for thousands of years and that's that kind of blows my mind this idea that, that if you had a discussion with you talk about the roman empire if you had a discussion with like a, a roman philosopher you know or scholar right they, they sure they would not have the whole technological or cultural context of our societies, but their brain and their reasoning was probably as sharp as our, I'm sure, right? And so mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by, by all of that. And, and they had the same impulse and the same kind of fundamental needs uh, and instincts, I'm sure. Right. I just see it as extended man's search for meaning. Yeah. Is like really what it is, I, I feel. Mm -hmm. but yeah anyways I, I wanted i wanted to get a little philosophical for a sec I, jay you could go back to the questions <laughs> talking about talking about man searching for meaning like i guess i'm mm -hmm. gonna bring it towards education real quick mm -hmm. i want to ask about is there like a route right now for people that want to get into this say they want your job at google right is there like an education mm -hmm. track that's obvious for them um and just in general like advice for young people that are trying to make moves in mm -hmm. 
this like AR VR industry? Yeah, so I mean, I didn't have a a regular path at all. Uh, so I would say first, yeah, the, the the probably the most expected path you, you want to work in creativity and emerging technology is to to go to college for it. You know, there's a bunch of design schools uh, that have like uh, interactive technologies programs, and so. Uh, College is expensive, especially in the US, but there's a bunch of, you know, in New York City, for example, you can go to Parson, you can go to NYU. Uh, I think there are a few other examples on the West Coast. And then in other countries where you can really learn interactive design, computer science, uh, you know, advertising, and kind of like become a, a creative professional. And then you pretty much intern and you start, you know, at the bottom of the of the ladder and you kind of like climb your way up. That's kind of the classic way, I would say. It's not at all what I did in my case. I, uh, I, I was a self-taught designer uh, and video artist from my... You should... uh, uh... Sorry to cut Go you ahead. off. I feel, like, I feel like you should, I was going to say this, I feel like you should really give the people like a, a good like little backstory because I think they might see like oh he works at Google and like he probably oh he went to college works at Google easy for him to say if you could just give like because you've yeah, lived I'm a lot of share. life <laughs> yeah please please I'm happy to share I mean I, I had a I had a I had a fairly you know lucky and privileged path to where I am but I did, clearly didn't have the the expected one I would say uh, and yeah mm -hmm. I you know, I, I went to, so I went to college first in, in France uh, to study political science and, and cultural studies. And, uh, and as I was doing that, I somehow fell into the whole like techno rave culture that was extremely, uh, really big in, in Europe in the early 2000s. Uh, a lot of, uh, they used to call that free parties and free parties were like those underground raves in the mountains and the tunnels and the highways everywhere in Europe in the early 2000. Yeah. And I really fell into that. I thought it was incredible. I thought it was another dimension, like right. behind the scene, you had those secret parties happening all night long. And I, yeah, and right. I, it, it really changed my life. And, uh, and that's when I decided I wanted to become a, a creator. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, uh, I continued my studies, but I uh, started teaching myself design uh, and video. Uh, and initially, I was designing flyers for those parties, and I was a video jockey. So I would play, in, I would play live video all night long in rave parties. Nice. And so for, for many years, I kept studying. Uh, I kind of like, through my studies, uh, I had a master's degree in uh, cultural administration. So my goal was really, because I loved electronic music so much, my goal was to work in the, in the music industry. Uh, I did a few things. I went to Brazil for an internship in a, to be a, a video art curator. Then also I went to Canada, Montreal, where I interned for a label called Ninja Tune. Uh, Ninja Tune uh, and, uh, and, and Big Data was a hip hop version of the label. It was a very exciting place where there's a lot of, core people that came out of them, uh, out of there, like Diplo, actually, for example, was coming from there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so really I was into that world of like, kind of like underground art and, uh, and music at the crossroad of kind of like hip hop and electro jazz and techno. Right. Uh, and, and I had a master's degree. And at the end of that, I realized that it was an industry that didn't necessarily pay very well. So uh, I kind of followed my, my mom's advice and I went to business school. Uh, and so I went to Paris business school. It was a very different world for me, uh, moving, coming from like more political science and cultural world. And I spent a year, you know, it was a, another master's degree, spent a year be, like becoming a marketer pretty much. And at the end of that, I worked for uh, about a year in the music uh, mobile download uh, kind of industry, like pre-iPhone, okay. you could buy, you could download music on your phone. It was very right. slow, very expensive, <laughs> terrible yep. user experience. But you know, there was like the very early days and I was, so I was a marketer, marketing pretty much uh, uh, music download 
you know, uh, on, okay. on, on, on like Nokia like phones. Space. Pretty much. Oh, even he was my. That. He was, he was yeah. at the time of MySpace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. at the time of MySpace. And after, that's the time in business school, I kind of like gave, gave up on like being a creator and a creative. And I was more like a marketer in the field of media entertainment. But after that, I got a job. Uh, I got hired by Google uh, to be more of like an advertising consultant specialized in media entertainment. So I was very happy. Google was not that big at the time, but it was already an exciting company to be, you know, felt very fresh. I was in Paris. And so, uh, so I had gave up on being a creator totally, you know, it was like, okay, I'm going to work in marketing. But after three years there, I, uh, I, I could feel I was not doing what I wanted. Mm. I didn't want to do, feel like advertising strategy i wanted to do creative and so i had one day i saw a job post you know on the internal job boards uh, they were hiring a creative producer in new york city and i was like you know i'd have nothing to lose so i just applied you know and uh, i i spoke okay english not a not a great english but you know good enough to to pass an interview and uh and to my biggest surprise, you know, the interview went really well. Uh, and the guy hired me and said, well, when can you come to the U.S.? And I moved from Paris, came to America. Uh, and in the U.S., then I spent all those years, you know, from being a producer, working on like a lot of the first YouTube creative programs. I became more of a technologist, uh, kind of really uh, creating a lot of like prototypes, you know, as a creative director, working with developers. And I was working on a team. I was kind of an agency for Google, working with a lot of brands. And I kind of worked my way by myself from there to become a creative director, to specialize myself in technology and then in AR up to today. So I'm missing a lot of points and details <laughs> on how that happened. But yeah. I would say that I, I'm a self-taught creator who had a dream, but then kind of gave up on it in, in, in a way and somehow realized that it was still his dream. And so then I worked my way all of those years and hmm. I faced some opposition. People were like, hey, you didn't go to design school. You can't be a creative, you know, you didn't study for it. No, you can't be. And I, uh, and I didn't take no for an answer. And I would say my, my advice to whoever want to follow that path is that you, you need to learn how to use the tools first. You need to do the work, you know, you're not, no one becomes a creative director from scratch. You have to first do the work. And also uh, I, when people ask me often, like, how do I, how do I get to have the core cool projects, you know, and well, mm -hmm. the work, you know, it's always like show don't tell. So uh, if you want to get the opportunities, create those opportunities, you know, if you don't have the core cool brief, write your own brief. That's why we created fake artists, right? If there are some projects that want to happen. There's never going to be a brand or a company that would pay for it. Well, I would just find a way to do it by myself with my friends, you know, and uh, so if you want to prove your talent and your creative talent, you can start writing tomorrow. You can start designing tomorrow. You can shoot a video tomorrow and post it online. Don't wait for organizations to give you the work. Just make the work happen by yourself. I think that's my, uh, my recommendation. Mm -hmm. And thank you so that. much. Yeah, yeah. Right, go ahead, Jay. I'm going to echo that because I feel like that's exactly what I feel like we're accomplishing right now with this conversation. Like, we didn't have to be employees at Google who would be like, yo, Matt is really cool. Like, let's talk to him about, like, his whole story, what's going on, like, create a podcast. Right. We could come in independently, make our own company, our own lane, and still have these types of conversations. And this is what's great to be able to share with everybody. Um, right. Yeah, no, you really, you really nailed it, though. I just, yeah, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to just say thank you for just telling your story, just because I think a lot of people, there's a lot of comparisons going on these days, and people watch people higher up and feel bad that they're not whatever, whatever. And I think it's important to like tell people the the actual story that it wasn't just like straight up you know what i'm saying there's some there's some dips in in all of that stuff but i just think like a dude coming from underground rave culture to creative director at google but still being able to do his like off 
off Google stuff with like his friends, I think that's like the coolest thing ever. So shout out to you. <laughs> shout Thank out you. to you. You know, I feel I, I, I've been given a lot of opportunities, you know, through my education, through, you know, like uh, the ability to get that job. And uh, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But I would say on the other side, uh, all the things, uh, you know, I had to go take those things by myself. No one came to me, you know, I didn't know anyone right. to be hired, you know, to, you know, I had to pass all those things. It was not through my family. It was not through my, you know, my network. Mm-hmm. It was always for like me trying to kind of go create those opportunities. Right. And again, I think it's been it's been a relatively uh, easy path for me compared to I'm sure a lot of other people, but it was not a straight one. And I, I had to create those opportunities, you know, like my role today right. exists because I created the role. It didn't exist. Hmm. It's just and like I had, you're creating new realities and they didn't exist. In a way. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's happening. Yeah. Really, it's also like, <laughs> w- honestly, w- one of my key learnings, my path, is I had, I had, you know, I had up and downs. I had like moments where things yeah. were incredible and I was like, whoa, it's happening. Followed by total low, low moments where, you know, things were not going my way and, uh, and I felt like I was screwing up and, you know, and I was, you know, going backward and and then again going back on track and feeling things are amazing. And this is this is really a straight path. It was clearly not for me. Uh, and you have to, you know, it might sound a bit obvious what I say, but resilience, going through those challenges, is really how you grow. You know, the moment where I like struggled, I struggled at some point in my career. You know, where I thought. Things are not at all happening the way I wish they would happen. Uh, in many aspects, as valuable and probably even more valuable than the good moments. And uh, what's interesting is then at any time, you're not sure what you're doing. You know, you think you know, but you realize that you're not really sure. And, but after all, you know, it's interesting to connect the dots. And from the rave party to today, I actually think this is all very logical today, uh, you know, mm-hmm. because it's, it has common thread, a common theme. I just yeah. didn't know it when it was happening. Yeah. So I, I, I hear also that question of people say, hey, but I don't really know what I want. I don't really know what's my goal. Or, you know, it's hard to have like a strong goal or strong vision. Right. I say, that's fine, guys. Don't, don't overthink it. Just go for what you think is right. And you'll connect the dots mm-hmm. afterward. Mm-hmm. I think life is funny like that is you think that you're doing something completely different. And then like after you're done, you're like, oh, that was a perfect yeah. like next step to what I did before. Exactly. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. As you keep going, as you keep going, you're like, oh, I was doing this the whole time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. So, yeah, I know I don't want to be too crunched for time. We still could we still could talk about a lot. Um right. I'll ask you <laughs> how much more time you feel like we have. I know we have like seven minutes. I, I think I can do about 20 minutes. Uh okay, that's okay. time for you guys. Yeah, sweet. All right, let's cool. do it. So the next thing I wanted to get into along the education theme was like, where do you see immersive playing a role in education? Like mm-hmm. in the classroom type of thing, like how do you feel like students can take advantage of those experiences mm-hmm. to kind of learn in new ways? Uh, I've seen already interesting stuff. Uh, uh, Virtual reality was used really for education in the classroom as like the ultimate mm-hmm. uh, kind of virtu- virtual f- field trip, right? right? You can tra- transport people in space and in time. Right. And you know, by the way, immersive is, can be also just like 3D on a screen, right? So th- those hyper-real experiences, I think are great yeah, to, tr- to transport people so that they have a more visceral understanding of different places. Mm-hmm. For me, that's fundamentally the exciting part. I tend to think that one of the key parts of education is to be uh, exposed to different perspectives. I see that very, very strongly in the US where like uh, I can immediately see the difference between someone who traveled across the country, who who went abroad, who also maybe, you know, traveled across maybe 
different cultural parts of the American society. You, I really see a difference between those people and people who somehow, whether it's in the US or elsewhere, by the way, always remain in the same environment. And so mm. perspective, I think, is like an, an amazing part of education to help people have a bit more educated point of view and a bit more nuanced point of view. And I, I hope that immersive uh, technologies can help sometimes bring a little bit of those uh, multi-perspectives. Uh, Long term, I, uh, I, you know, you, you could argue that uh, it's also uh, augmented reality at some points in the future where we may have glasses one day. I think are going to be great for like also education around like any kind of movements. It's already happening in VR, you know, for like workouts. Uh, I've been doing Tai Chi in VR, for example, uh, last year. Really? So you, you and you know, <laughs> that's really cool. Wait, we gotta talk tai about that. Tai Chi, you know, Tai Chi is kind of stuff. Well, a lot of people, you know, especially if you have a little bit of uh, an interest in martial arts or, or oriental culture, you know, it sounds like an amazing idea, but, re but really hard to do. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. how awesome must it be to be able to have those very meditative moments? But then when you try to do it, you're like, wait right. a minute, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. And, and in VR, you can do that with a helmet where it's all gamified, you know, you just have to follow right. lines. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's a very good example of if you can add information on top of the world around you, you can guide movements. And that is uh, almost like a direct feedback loop, you know? Uh, mm. So it's like for right. anything from yoga Even to with Tai like Chi physical to... education, yeah. Because I yeah, was yeah, exactly. like in the classroom, but yeah, physical education can take Yeah, I was even, too. right? Yeah, I even the saw- the, the posture, exactly. Right, like, yeah, the posture, like uh, it was on yeah. like your, it was on Twitter I saw uh, yesterday. It was during the uh, Olympics and it was during the fencing and they had, like they have, yeah. yeah, the AR or just the AI showing the movements of the swords and like every little yeah. tiny movement of their swords. Yeah. It was super cool. But yeah, just informing. This is a great example. Movement. So informing yeah. movement, providing feedback, gamifying the feedback so that when you try to uh, kind of have the right movements, right. I think that's one of aspects. So really transporting people is the first aspect of education, immersive, improving feedback mm -hmm. or movement is another one, I think. Uh, and then maybe the, the third one I would say is like kind of allowing you to double click the world around you to kind of like get more information about it. Right. You know, that, that, <laughs> that already exists this idea of like, oh, I see, I see a tree and I have no idea what, what that tree is. So true story. I'm really bad at anything nature name. And I think being okay. bi bi bilingual English and French makes it even more confusing for me. So I, <laughs> I, 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 I always forget the name of flowers and trees and fishes. And, you know, I know the basics, mm -hmm. but uh, not as much as I wish. Right. And so there are apps now where you can just point your phone at, let's say, a flower. And it will tell you exactly mm -hmm. what it is. That is right. you know, an example for me also. So immersive education and double clicking the world. Like you mm -hmm. can now look at anything. It will tell you what it is. And maybe it will tell you the, the context or right. the right information about it. Yeah, I was even thinking about this yesterday and doing a little bit of research about how one of the first technologies that they're kind of uh, playing around with, especially with the glasses, is uh, automatic translation. Yeah. And so, like, I just feel like that would, because I was had this thought of, like, man, if I could read other languages, like, if I could read uh -huh. Mandarin or if I could read French, then I would be able to, like you said, perspectives like broaden mm -hmm. my perspective on art and like actually be able to read mm -hmm. the literature or hear someone speak in their native language to really know what they're saying. I think True. that it's like really going to help people across language. Like it would really just break down that language barrier. And so like we, mm -hmm. people can experience a lot better, easier without yeah. the barrier. I'll say that. No, that's be true. Cool. I mean, I, I would not be surprised in like, I, I don't know when, you know, is it 20, is it 30 years? I'm not sure, but I, I feel like we'll, we're not that far from a world where like languages, you know, are, are going oh, to yeah. languages manage, right. ma manage, no through, language. manage through machine learning, you know, whether it's your, your, your whether yeah. it's in your earbuds or if it's glasses, you know, it right. doesn't matter. Well, like, Elon, I, Elon said the Neuralink is gonna, you can communicate without language. So back to telepathy. Yeah, well. Here we back, go. To 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't know if you want, I want everybody to know what I'm thinking about, but, uh, but it's kind of amazing that idea that, you know, maybe one day we'll just have to speak one language and that's it to be right. able to talk to, you know, this is like, this is Babel. This is like the Babel mm -hmm. Tower. It's like Facts. back to what we said before, you know, some of the oldest legends and stories are, you know, those kind of like universal dreams are, are still relevant today. Super. Absolutely. So the, I got like kind of two more questions, one more topic to kind of mm -hmm. like wrap it up. Like as a leader in your position, like in this space, um, just how do you feel like adopting that role? Do you feel the responsibility of um, just like where you are, like in the AR VR space and um, like, are there other people in this space that you kind of look to as example or um, yeah, right. just like what qualities do you think are like important for leadership in general? I just wanted to kind of combine those two things like mm -hmm. leadership mm -hmm. and what like your perspective or like where you are and mm -hmm. augmented reality. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I feel like leadership is a, is a complicated topic, but uh, uh, in my case, my, my, my number one motivation was initially just to do cool, to launch, to be able to build and launch cool stuff that I, I thought right. was exciting, cool, creative, you know, that's, I think the, the, the base impulse is like, I want to, I want to make stuff and I want to share it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I want to keep doing that and quickly I realized that if I wanted to do this, I need, I needed other people to help me. I couldn't do everything by myself. Uh, and that's why I started to realize that if you need other people, you need to learn how to work with them and you need them right. to learn how to inspire them and to drive them to other direction. And that's kind of where leadership comes. It's, uh, some people may, uh, you know, they just think I want to be a leader and my kids more like, I want to, I want to build stuff. And then, oh, I have to, to lead if I right. want to build those stuff. Uh, and, uh, what's interesting is that. I'm sure everybody's doing a little bit of leadership in their life without realizing, and it's not necessarily put a label on it. It kind of felt that way for me, where at some point, you know, I just kept creating those groups, whether it was a Google or outside of Google, I was kept trying to convince people, hey, I'm trying to do this, here's a vision, you want to help me? And then, oh, yes, you want to help me? Well, here's how we can organize each other, you know? And at first I had no idea what I was doing, and then I learned, I got better at organizing people, I got better at kind of motivating people, I got better at rewarding people. Uh, mm. And one day I realized, oh, I guess that's what people call leadership. Uh, <laughs> so it kind of happened that way, you know. Uh, but I would say uh, leadership for me is really seen as that. It's like if you want ambitious goals to happen, you need to lead people. And if you want to lead people, I think uh, in a sustainable way, you need to learn uh, how to to understand what they want, uh, what they react to, what is their driver, and you, you need to understand how to, to have empathy and respect for them. Uh, because otherwise people do something with you once, you know, maybe at first excited. And I would say inspiration is a big part of leadership. You need an inspiring vision and you need to know how to articulate it. But then it's not enough. The world is full of inspiring leaders who then are terrible at working with people and so you work with them once and then you give up mm -hmm. for me that's one of the key part of leadership is really uh how to sustain it you know a lot of the projects i do outside of google i i'm not able to pay people so i'm telling them you know you should do that because of the work because of creativity because of the team and so leadership has been for me a way to understand how do you keep people engaged how do you give them something you know, fair, you know, like a win-win situation in terms of working together and how do you, uh, you know, again, make them happy to work with you. So I don't know if it makes sense, but I see leadership at that kind of, those different techniques, human mm -hmm. methods, you know, uh, from inspiring people to engaging with them, to keeping them committed and, you know, and to sustaining that, that engagement. And all of that is in service of a goal, which is, uh, delivering exciting work, but the process in itself is also a goal because it's just amazing to work with people you love. And, uh, you know, that's part of the human interaction mm -hmm. that I also love. 
I just wanted to touch on something that I totally agree with you, by the way. I just want to touch on something that you said closer to like the beginning um, that I thought was really important just about how like the label of leader sometimes like might get over some people might just put it on too high of a pedestal because whether people realize it or not I think these times especially are kind of challenging all of us to become our own leaders of like what am I going to do with my time you know what I'm saying like especially with COVID and everything um so and I thought it was super interesting and cool how you kind of just explain it as like, I just try to figure it out. And I guess I gained all the characteristics of what people call a leader, you know what I'm saying? And so I think that's really um, kind of motivational and inspiring in itself. And just like, you don't have to be that people label you a leader since you've been a kid, but you can just by trying to figure it out and have fun, then you're gonna gain those characteristics and then be seen as a leader in what you do. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think it's funny. I touched f- on. Oh, go ahead, man. I, yeah, I was about to say. I feel like we, there's, you know, we 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 live in a world where we are lionizing leaders, mm-hmm. you know, glorifying all. You know, whether you know, usually those days they're like tech leaders or startup leaders, you know, and like you yeah. know, we kind of like present those people are kind of the new gods or the new, the new mm-hmm. heroes and. Some of them, of course, are amazing, and it's very hard to, to lead. I think uh, right. lead well, but uh, it, it, it's I almost call we we'll call that leadership porn, you know, and how you have all those mm. quotes and how to be a leader, mm-hmm. and you have to be tough, and you have to be resilient. So the world is full yeah. of those kind of like self development tips, or follow your passion, or don't follow your passion. Uh, right. I would say that. Most of the time, I had no idea what I was doing, and I had total imposter syndromes. And I'm sure I, there are many instances, especially at the beginning, where I was a terrible leader, you know, because of my ego, because of my misconceptions, or maybe because I was not just paying attention to people around me enough. And so, I don't think it's like you're a leader, you're not a leader kind of situation. It's more we all have leadership on us, and that's something we can try to grow consciously or not. Mm-hmm. And at some point, as you start realizing, you know, and having that awareness that you're actually trying to lead, you can even right. further research and maybe try to read books and philosophy books, whatever you want to do, talk to people and, and, and get better at it. It's a long process. It's a never ending process. I also would say that some of the people most celebrated as leaders are actually terrible people uh, behind mm-hmm. the scene. And on the other side, some people that no one really talk about are the amazing leaders of every day, you know? Right. Leadership is about, I think, really inspiring people to have a common goal and kind of like gather their energy to get stuff done. And uh, and that's happening every day, everywhere. You don't need to be a, a freaking startup CEO genius, you know, to be a leader. Right. That's facts. It's important. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I feel like you touched on the motivation for leadership. Like really in its essence, it's people that have the vision that they need to see fulfilled. Right. And like they pursue that themselves individually right. without anything first. And that's what garners the leadership qualities in the first right. place. Cause you're like, in order for me to get the vision off, then you just intangibly right. were like, well, let me find the people that do this and this. And Thanks. now like, I need to make the plan for all these people you know what right. I mean? And it's just, just like a process down. that you have yeah. to overcome in order to mm-hmm. get the idea across to manifest yeah. whatever. Uh, I would add a, a caveat nice. here, though, which is I, I, I feel like I started, I guess, trying to be a little too deliver on a I, yeah, I, I started trying to be a leader today on a goal. And then I realized through trial and error that to be a leader is not just about the goal. It's also about the journey and to about really truly caring about people working with you and truly showing respect and, you know, and appreciation for them. And that becomes also a goal in itself. You know what I mean? I feel like right. 
that's maybe some of the mistakes I may have done is like when at first being so focused on the goal that you maybe don't pay enough attention to the people you want to involve. Uh, and I, I've been much more successful in all my, you know, ventures, uh, by of course, keeping the big goal in mind, you know, this is still the key driver, but also then realizing that it is not the only thing that matter. And it is not a goal at all costs that you need to reach the process and the people you do it with is also really as important in many aspects and, uh, and as valuable. Yeah, that's yeah, another really, it. really important point to make. It's facts. Also, but um, do you want to get a little time check on how much? Oh, yeah, I think uh, I, I, I'm about time. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna have to go soon. So for the interview, we we can probably uh, stop it there. I don't know if you have a final question. Something I'm also out of battery, by the way. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Is that like a, a final word or like? Let, let yeah, we have like one final yeah. though. We got one final one. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah, final wraps is uh, we just like to ask everyone the two questions of what does different mean to you first of all and who would you like to see on our podcast who would you like to see next have this conversation and you have to help us to get them on like someone that you would know <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so by different you mean the term difference the word difference yeah just the word yeah. the term whatever comes to your mind well I, for me, the word different is very important uh, because it's, it's an appreciation of uh, differences across people, ac across culture. Uh, and that's what makes the world uh, interesting. Hmm. We talk about being explorers. I, there's a reason why I live in New York City. You know, my, uh, my wife and I are coming from absolutely different cultural backgrounds. That's difference, you know, and uh, difference brings fr positive friction Difference brings alterity, and I think this is what generates creativity. Creativity is coming from the friction of different point of views. It's coming from the friction of differences. There's a reason why, if you look at, you know, who are the biggest kind of cultural maker in North America, look at it. Almost all of them, they have some kind of difference. You know, whether it's from their religious background, their ethnic background, their cultural background, like almost all the people in music, in art, they all have like, or sometimes even like sexual orientation background. All the mm -hmm. most interesting, in my opinion, kind of creators uh, always had some kind of difference. So that's what, you know, that word inspired to me. It's, uh, it's difference brings creativity and wealth, you know, and cultural wealth. Uh, and now who I'd like you to see, hmm. uh, especially if I'm on the hook to have those people, uh, I guess, uh, I would love you maybe to see, uh, someone who is not for my, for my profile, you know, and maybe someone who had to also deals with those challenges of differences and still, uh, still be able to get into a situation of leadership. I don't think I have a name in mind, but, uh, I, uh, I think. I'm sure your audience will love. I hope my story was interesting, you know, and, uh, but more stories of people who didn't have a, a straight path, who didn't have a conventional path. Uh, you know, for me, that's the best. Underdogs. Underdogs always have the best stories, you know, uh, not the people who just tell you, oh, I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I was 15. And then I went to Harvard. Those and are liars. To and then Those I went to, liars. you know, like people <laughs> who have just like perfect path. It's right. I'm, you know, it's impressive, sure, but like it's kind of boring. You know, I, I think the the best stories are people who you're like, what you did this and you did that, and it's you know. Right. So I would I would look I for agree. the people who had those like dramatic, uh, dramatically unexpected you know life stories, uh, and and you know inspired by strong visions. Sure. Well, so, thank you, you again, Matt. Yeah, that was yeah thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it means a lot. Um, you yeah. shared a lot of gems, a lot of insight, um, background on yourself. You know what I mean? Very yeah. inspiring. 
So lastly, uh, I just like to ask yeah. uh, if, if anybody listening would like to uh, find out about you. I know I plugged your website at the beginning, find out about you or what you do or are interested in this at all. Um, just give you opportunity to. Yeah, I mean, uh, they can check my uh, my portfolio if they want to see my work. Uh, it's uh, MathieuLaurent.com, M-A-T-T-H-I-E-U-L-O-R-A-I-N.com. Or they can check also uh, our collective website, Fake Artists, with an S, uh, .net. Uh, fake, F-A-K-E, artist, like an artist with an S, .net. And uh we are uh, launching regularly new projects. There's a one coming very soon, so uh, check it out. Super cool. Well, thank you again, man. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll talk more in the future, but thanks, thanks again for your time today and thanks everybody for listening. I'll thank you, soon. everybody.